We can do the thing. I was all distracted. Hello, I am Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. Kai is out this week, but I am joined again by the wonderful Janet Wynn of Marketplace. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Kimberly. It's good to be here. Yeah, we've both been away for a bit. I was uh, out of town traveling, doing some training. Uh, So, yes, both of us are back in the action. And today we are going to have some news fixes and, of course, end with some Make Me Smiles. So, Janet, why don't you get us started with the news fix? Yeah, sure. Um, So I wanted to bring up an investigative report that dropped this weekend about rent prices. I mean, we all know how high housing and rent prices are. Um, So ProPublica had a piece out about how one company's algorithm could be responsible for some of the rising prices we're seeing across the country. The company is called RealPage, and it has software named Yieldstar that analyzes data from its clients, which includes private info on what nearby competitors charge. So it has all this data, and it gives landlords recommended rent prices. And so this raises antitrust concerns. Critics are raising questions about whether landlords who use the software can indirectly coordinate pricing because they have access to all this information. It's not exactly leaving. Yeah. You know, it's not leaving it up to supply and demand or basic market forces. Um, So in one neighborhood in Seattle, ProPublica said a majority of apartments were overseen by only 10 property managers and they all use the software. And um, ProPublica also says RealPage discourages landlords from bargaining with renters, has even sometimes recommended that landlords lower the occupancy rate so they can charge higher rents. You know, I've seen some of that in, I feel like I've seen that here in D.C., where we have all of these new developments and so many apartment buildings. And if you look at the lights that are on in them at night, you can see that a big chunk of these buildings are empty, and yet the rents mm-hmm. will not go down. It's wild. Exactly. And so a spokesperson for RealPage did respond um, to ProPublica and said it uses aggregated market data from a variety of sources in a legally compliant manner. Um, the ProPublica report does note that it's hard to nail exactly what role the software has played in rising rents. You know, it's already tough for people to buy homes because of a rising housing shortage. Um, but even on RealPage's website, it says its software Yieldstar can help you outperform the market 3% to 7%. And I... Um, because, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say that there is an amazing quote in the report from someone who used to work at the Federal Trade Commission. Um She didn't say this in response to the report, but was more commenting on the nature of algorithms. She said, just substitute the word algorithm with the phrase, a guy named Bob. So sorry (laughs) to any Bobs listening to this, but she asked, you know, is it okay for a guy named Bob to collect confidential information from people in the market and then tell everyone how they should price? You know, if it isn't okay for a guy named Bob to do it, then it probably isn't okay for an algorithm to do it either. That's such an interesting way of thinking about algorithms because like in this context if you can look at this site and see that everybody around you is charging a certain rate for an apartment you have zero Mm -hmm. incentive to lower your price because you know nobody can do any better around you and 
That's so interesting. ProPublica does so much good work, and a lot of times it actually does result in policy changes when Mm -hmm. uh, they reveal stuff like this. So I'll be very curious as to sort of what happens next, because they often will have a follow-up story where states or or different Mm -hmm. cities or sometimes even the federal government responds with an actual policy solution. So yay, ProPublica for the win again. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's hoping things change. Yeah. So... I have was talking about this before uh, I traveled and I was in Florida a bit this past week. And so I'm very much still thinking about the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. And Mm -hmm. there's a story in The Wall Street Journal, which is basically also the same story in Fox Business, but without the paywall, Mm -hmm. talking about the way that housing codes in Florida and the extreme cost of rebuilding according to these very strict housing codes layered on to the high cost of insurance, which we've talked about on the show before, is Mm -hmm. really shifting who gets to live in Florida, especially Mm -hmm. who gets to live on the coast, because these housing codes are rightfully demanding that if people are building or if they're rebuilding, They make these homes as resilient as possible to hurricanes and flooding. But to do those things, it's very expensive. So reading just a little bit of this, in the Florida panhandle, Mexico Beach, which was ravaged by Hurricane Michael in 2018, imposed code changes in the aftermath. The city now requires new homes in many areas be built 1.5 feet above the highest point in the adjacent roadway, and those in low-lying areas be elevated significantly higher. It also increased the wind speed new homes must withstand to 140 miles per hour from 130. And in this story, it's talking about people paying, you know, $10,000, $15,000, if not more, to raise their homes. So if you're somebody who's low income, who lost mm-hmm. your home in Hurricane Ian, and you want to rebuild, not only mm-hmm. are you facing higher insurance costs, but to rebuild according to these housing standards is going to be significantly more expensive than when you had your home in the first place. And that is going to change who gets to live in Florida, especially in these areas. So that's that's going to be interesting to watch. It's funny, both of us had stories about housing and, and prices and how it yeah. affects who gets to live where. My other story is about uh, something that, you know, is pretty close to me. The National Institutes of Health has put out a study finding that women who use chemical hair straightening products are at higher risk for uterine cancer compared to Mm -hmm. women who don't use these products. So Mm -hmm. for people who are not aware, a lot of women who have curly or, you know, wavy hair, whatever, might use a chemical hair straightener for you know, to make your hair straight. A lot of these used to be lye-based. Many of them aren't anymore. But mm-hmm. the report found that, and I'm just going to read from the press release, we estimated that 1.64% of women who never use hair straighteners would go on to develop uterine cancer by the age of 70. But for frequent users, that risk goes up to 4.05%. Okay. Wow. So... Yeah, that's that's a really significant 
difference in terms of your risk of cancer. And the study finds that Black women are particularly affected by this because many Black women use chemical hair straighteners on a regular basis. This is so common because of the societal pressures to, frankly, look more white. Now, plenty Mm -hmm. of black women straighten their hair because of the way that they they like the way it looks. But this is so ingrained in the culture. I mean, Mm -hmm. my mother started using chemical hair straighteners on me when I was eight years old. And the Mm -hmm. same with all my siblings. And you would go and get your hair permed, as we called it. Every, you know, once a month, maybe once every other month. But they're saying in this NIH study that if you use it more than four times a year, your risk Mm -hmm. jumps up. And because black women are so much more likely to use these chemical hair straighteners on a regular Mm -hmm. basis, Mm -hmm. that's why black women end up with this much higher risk of uterine cancer. And something that's just been so common in one community, I really wonder you know, if people are going to change. I mm-hmm. One of the reasons that I stopped straightening my hair when I was a teenager was because you'd put these chemicals on your, on your head and it would literally mm-hmm. burn your scalp and you would have wow. scabs on your head because in order for oh, these no. chemicals to straighten your hair, if you had really, really tightly curly or coiled hair, you had to leave it on for a very long time in order to get it straight. And that Mm -hmm. length of time would often literally burn the skin off of your scalp. But we all did it. That's awful. Yeah, it's incredible the amount of pressure, you know, people face to adhere to these beauty standards that, you know, they go through these types of things. And, you know, I'm really glad that the study is coming out now. But, you know, it also raises questions about, you know, why it didn't come out sooner, you know, because, you know, these things like chemicals affecting your hair should be studied before it's actually put into use. That's a really interesting point. These are products that have been on the market for so long. Mm -hmm. And how would you know? you know, Mm -hmm. in advance that this was going to cause problems for these women, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And, you know, I think the way this came about is, you know, now that there's a lot more screening and treatment for uterine cancer, people are like, why are black women in particular, you know, Mm -hmm. subject to this? And, you know, this is apparently one of the reasons. Okay. So now we really need to smile, don't we? Yeah. I love your story, Jenna. Go ahead. Okay. Um, So we just finished Fat Bear Week, right? Um, Well, there's another amazing category to vote on. It's Bird of the Year, and voting just opened today. So the competition is run by Forest and Bird, a conservation organization in New Zealand, and it's a way to raise awareness for bird species in the country that face the threat of extinction. Um, There was one bird that was actually disqualified. It's the kakapo, which is known as the world's fattest parrot. And he was such a fan favorite that he won twice. So they wanted to give the other birds a chance, understandably. And, you know, this is serious business. They want to prevent voter fraud. So they're requiring email verified votes and they're making sure the same people don't keep voting. They learned from Fat Bear Week and the scandal of the ballot stuffing. Yes. I love that, 
when it comes to animals, we love fat and chubby things, but (laughs) in society, that's like the first thing that we'll criticize. But so, but nevertheless, this is the make me smile section. I definitely love a a fat bird as long as it can still fly and is, you know, doing its bird things. That's great. Okay. So for mine, it's, (laughs) it's funny. I don't actually love the movie that this has the spawns from, but nevertheless, I recognize a lot of people love it. The movie is A Christmas Story. And for many, many people, this is like the movie they want to watch over the holidays. And I get it. A lot of people love it. I've never been a huge fan, but I get that it's like part of, you know, society and Christmas and everything. So anyway... Uh, a Christmas Story is this movie that was set, I guess, what, in like the 1950s about a kid, you know, trying to just do all these things for Christmas. And the movie came out in 1983 and has been popular ever since. So now this year there's going to be a sequel because Hollywood loves nothing more than a sequel. And this is called A Christmas Story Christmas. And it (laughs) stars the same kid from the original Christmas story, the one who got his like tongue stuck on the pole or whatever. And it's so Ralphie. I'm just going to read from Deadline. The film follows an adult, Ralphie, in the 1970s who returns to the house on Cleveland Street to deliver his kids a magical Christmas like the one he had growing up. And in the teaser, they have the exact same living room from the original movie (laughs) and little snippets of the sort of classic lines in the movie playing. And you see the guy putting on those like glasses, those plastic glasses that the kid was known for. I I didn't even I think I learned what Ovaltine was from A Christmas Story. (laughs) Have you seen the movie? I haven't. But yeah, studios love their nostalgia. Yeah. So, okay, well, I have learned on this show not to recommend movies for people to watch, so I'm going to step away from that. But I think this is going to make a lot of people happy and, like, trigger the nostalgia of warm fuzzies for the holiday. Definitely. All right. So that's it for today. Tomorrow we're going to do a deep dive on the future of telehealth. It was super popular at the start of the pandemic. I know I've certainly continued using telehealth. And its use has been, I guess for other people, slowing down a bit. We're going to talk about why that is and what the next phase of telehealth might look like. If you have questions about telehealth or anything else, call 508-UB-SMART and leave us a voicemail. You can also email makemesmart at marketplace.org. Make Me Smart is produced by Marissa Cabrera. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado. Our senior producer is usually Bridget Bodner, and the director of On Demand is Donna Tam. Marissa's senior producing right now, and I know Kai says this all the time, but Marissa's doing a great job. Yes, she's amazing. Yes, Marissa is amazing. As is Juan Carlos. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. 
I'm Rima Kreis, host of Marketplace's This is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.